0: The word of the Lord from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I had a colleague who once said, all Jesus is good for is the forgiveness of sins. If that sounds provocative, I think he meant it to be. It's provocative because it makes Jesus sound like a pretty limited Savior whose influence is helpful every now and then on a Sunday morning. In other words, for relief from your sins, see Jesus. For all the other garbage in the world, you've got to find some other help. After all, if all Jesus is good for is the forgiveness of sins, Then what help is he going to be in a world full of cultural decay, broken relationships, lost children, chronic illnesses, mental and physical both, poverty and grief? This is no small question, and churches have not always dealt with it well. Many have answered by insisting on turning from the gospel to social gospel in which they dismiss forgiveness as unimportant and make Christianity all and only about helping the poor and downtrodden. Others have said that Jesus is good for love rather than forgiveness, which sounds good until you realize that they see no need for forgiveness because they deny the problem of sin. We'll apply this more to a congregation in total next week, but for now we want to put the focus on something else. There will be times when the gospel seems foolish to any Christian. There will be times when the gospel seems foolish to you. It might seem foolish to you when you're looking at the world and wondering how to help your kids navigate a hostile culture and still turn out okay. And simple actions like family devotions or learning the small catechism look like holding off a tsunami with an index card. It might seem foolish to you in the middle of a chronic illness or long term grief, where you find yourself thinking, what good is it to be forgiven if I'm still always sick or still always sad? It might seem foolish if you're sitting in an ER waiting room waiting for news of a loved one inside, where the good news you want is that the damage done from the stroke isn't that extensive and everything is going to be all right. For what it's worth, pastors are tempted to see the gospel as foolish when they're sitting with you in the waiting room, and they're tempted to wish for other words, magic words, instead of God's word of grace and life. Back to the question then, if all Jesus is good for is the forgiveness of sins, then what good is he for everything else? Perhaps St. Paul will help us out with our epistle. He says that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. That's something anyways. Suffering does some good. It can produce endurance and character and hope. Just like a good workout strengthens the body, So adversity strengthens virtue and self-discipline. That's good, but it's not especially Christian. Reminds me of hanging out at the CrossFit gym, learning the morning's workout, and hearing fellow participants grimly say, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That might be good for fitness, or not. There's a reason we don't do CrossFit anymore. Might be good for fitness, but it's... Terrible theology. I skipped over the first part of what St. Paul says in Romans 5 because that's what the old Adam usually does. It ignores the gospel and then tries to make sense of Scripture anyway. Our reading begins with these words Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There you go. There's good news. You've been justified by faith. You have peace with God, and you have access to God. All of this is through Jesus Christ, because he's been crucified for your sins and raised for your justification. All of this is through Jesus Christ because he's good for the forgiveness of sins. See, whenever you encounter some sort of suffering and the gospel might seem foolish to you, the first thing your old Adam wants you thinking is, What have I done to deserve this? Why is God out to get me? From there, it wants to push you to one of two conclusions. Either God is out to get you because you're too horrible to be forgiven, or else God is out to get you because he's just angry, unforgiving by nature. Either way, your old sinful nature's default position is that God is out to get you. But God is not out to get you because you've been justified by faith. If you are justified, it means that God can't be out to get you because... He has nothing to get you for. He has declared you not guilty of sin. And why? Because rather than get you for your sin, he got his son onto a cross instead. He poured out his wrath for your sin on Jesus, and Jesus willingly endured it so that you might be forgiven. Because you are forgiven, you're at peace with God. He doesn't consider you an enemy. In fact, for Jesus' sake, he calls you his beloved child. He tells you to appeal to him for help as a child might ask a dear father. In other words, you have access to God with a confidence that he hears your prayers and will answer in a way that is best for you. Why? Again, because you are forgiven. And why are you forgiven? Because Jesus died in your place on the cross. That's the gospel. We're just getting started, though. If you're justified and forgiven, it means that God is not using affliction for your bad, but for your good. He is using it in part to produce in you endurance and character and hope. These aren't any old endurance, character, and hope. They're aspects of faith. He's strengthening your faith to cling to Christ, which means abandoning the idols you'd otherwise be clinging to. In times of trial, you'll find which false gods you've been trusting in as they fail one after another. And as they fail, you see that Christ does not. There's another side to this. You follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who took your place on the cross. When he took your place on the cross, he bore not only your sins, but also your infirmities and all the curse of sin. This means that your Savior doesn't just know how you feel. It means that he has borne your particular suffering. For instance, should you have cancer You know that he has not just died because people get cancer because of sin. No, he has borne your cancer to the cross and destroyed its power to keep you in the grave. Now, if you follow in the footsteps of the one who has borne your personal and particular afflictions to the cross, along with your sins, and you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then should come as no surprise that, you bear your afflictions. Your old Adam will say that it is unfair that you are still afflicted if Jesus has truly taken them away. But your faith wonders at this mystery. Because Christ has borne your infirmities to the cross, your suffering actually unites you with him. His suffering is your suffering because he's taken it on himself to defeat it. Your death is His death because He has died in your place. And so His death is your death so that you might not die eternally. Thus, His resurrection is your resurrection. Now, why is all of this true? Because you're forgiven for your sins. One more wonder to ponder. In Mark chapter 2, we hear the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Jesus is teaching in a house, and some friends of the paralyzed man open the roof and lower him down on his bed in front of the Savior. In front of the packed crowd, Jesus says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And that will strike some as foolish as a useless thing for Jesus to say, because the man is still paralyzed. But what happens next? Jesus heals the man, tells him to rise, to pick up his bed, and to go home. Quite clearly, the Son of God is not out to get this man for his sin. He forgives him, and forgiving him, he then restores him to what he is supposed to be. In this healing, you see the Lord delivering a man from suffering... And in that miracle, you have a foretaste of the last day, the day of ultimate healing, when he delivers you from all affliction, from death, and says, rise, come out of your grave. No need to go home because you are home. Why will this deliverance come? Because Christ died and rose again to say, my child, your sins are forgiven. There will be times when beaten up or beaten down the gospel will seem foolish. How does a forgiveness of sins help you remotely when facing the troubles of this world? It's absolutely key. Because you are forgiven, you are certain that God is not out to get you. Because you are forgiven, You're certain that God is using even your sufferings for your benefit, including delivering you from false gods and joining you to Christ who has borne your sufferings away. He promises his help against the assaults of the world. He promises that afflictions don't win, but that he will raise you up to eternal life. Why? Because you're forgiven. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So if all Jesus is good for is the forgiveness of sins, then he is good for everything. Everything good for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.